Chapter 19 of Other Things Being Equal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Other Things Being Equal by Emma Wolfe. Chapter 19. Dr. Kemp tossed the reins to his man, sprang from his carriage, and hurried into his house. Burke, he called while closing the door. Burke! He walked toward the back of the house and into the kitchen, still calling. Finding it empty, he walked back again and began a still hunt about the pieces of furniture in the various rooms. Being unsuccessful, he went into his bedroom, made a hasty toilet, and hurried again to the kitchen. "'Where have you been, Burke?' he exclaimed, as that spare-looking personage turned, spoon in hand, from the range. "'Right here, General,' he replied in surprise, except when I went out. Well, did any mail come here for me? One little billy-do, General. I put it under your dinner plate. And shall I serve the soup? The last was bellowed after his master's retreating form. Wait till I ring, he called back. He lifted his solitary plate, snatched up the little letter, and sat down hastily, conscious of a slight excitement. His name and address stared at him from the white envelope in a round, firm hand. There was something about the loop letters that reminded him of her, and he passed his hand caressingly over the surface. He did not break the seal for some minutes. Anticipation is sometimes sweeter than realization. Finally it was done, but he closed his eyes for a second, a boyish trick of his that had survived when he wished some expected pleasure to spring suddenly upon him. How would she address him? The memory of their last meeting gave him courage, and he opened his eyes. The denouement was disconcerting. Directly under the tiny white monogram, she had begun without heading of any description. It was cruel of me to let you go as I did. You were hopeful when you left. I led you to this state for a purely selfish reason. After all, it saved you the anguish of knowing it was a final farewell. For even then I knew it could never be. Never, for ever. Do you know the meaning of those two long words? I do. They have burned themselves irrevocably into my brain. Try to understand them. They are final. I retract nothing that I said to my father in your presence. You know exactly how I still consider what is separating us. I am wrong. Only I am causing this separation. No one else could or would. Do not blame my father. If he were to see me riding thus, he would beg me to desist. He would think I am sacrificing my happiness for him. I have no doubt you think so now. Let me try to make you understand how different it really is. I am no Jehepta's daughter. He wants no sacrifice, and I make none. Duty, the hardest word to learn, is not leading me. You heard my father's words, but not holding him as I do, his face could not recoil upon your heart like a death's hand. I am trying to write coherently and to the point. See what a coward I am. Let me say it now. I could never be happy with you. Do you remember Shylock, the old man who withdrew from the merry-making with a breaking heart? I could not make merry while he wept. My heart would weep also. You see how selfish I am? I am doing it for my own sake and for no one's else. And that is why I ask you now to forgive me, because I am not noble enough to consider you when my happiness is at stake. 
I suppose I am a light person seemingly to play thus with a man's heart. If this reflection can rob you of regret, think me so. Does it sound presumptuous or ironical of me to say I shall pray you may be happy without me? Well, it is said, hearts do not break for love, that is, not quickly. If you will just think of what I have done, surely you will not regret your release. You may yet find a paradise with some other and better woman. No, I am not harsh or unreasonable. Even I expect to be happy. Why should not you, then, you a man, I a woman? Forget me. In your busy, full life this should be easy. Trust me, no woman is worthy of spoiling your life for you. My pen keeps trailing on like summer twilight. It is loath to depart. I am such a woman. I may never see your face again. Will you not forgive me? Ruth. He looked up with a bloodless face at Burke, standing with the smoking soup. I, I thought you had forgotten to ring, he stammered, shocked at the altered face. Take it away, said his master hoarsely, rising from his chair. I do not wish any dinner, Burke. I am going to my office and must not be disturbed. The man looked after him with a sadly wondering shake of his head and went back to his more comprehensible pots and kettles. Kemp walked steadily into his office, lit the gas, and sat down at his desk. He began to re-read the letter, slowly, from the beginning. It took a long time, for he read between the lines. A deep groan escaped him as he laid it down. It was written as she would have spoken. He could see the expression of her face in the written words, and a miserable, empty feeling of powerlessness came upon him. He did not blame her. How could he? With that sad evidence of her breaking heart before him, he got up and paced the floor. His head was throbbing, and a cold, sick feeling almost overpowered him. The words of the letter repeated themselves to him, Paradise with some other better woman. She might have left that out. She knew better. She was only trying to cheat herself. I, too, shall be happy. Not that, not some other man's wife. The thought was demoniacal. He caught his reflection in the glass in passing. I must get out of this, he laughed with dry, parched lips. He seized his hat and went out. The wind was blowing stiffly. For hours he wrestled with it and then came home and wrote to her. I can never forgive you. Love's litany holds no such word. Be happy if you can, my Santa Philomena. It will help me much. The fact that you are somewhere in the world and not desolate will make life more worth the living. If it will strengthen you to know that I shall always love you, the knowledge will be eternally true. Wherever you are, whatever the need, remember, I am at hand. Herbert Kemp Mr. Levis's face was more haggard than Ruth's when, after this answer was received, she came to him with a gentle smile despite the heavy shadows around her eyes. It is all over, father, she said. We have parted forever. Perhaps I did not love him enough to give up so much for him. At any rate, I shall be happier with you, dear. Are you sure, my darling? Quite sure. And there is no more to be said of it. Remember, it is dead and buried. We must never remind each other of it again. Kiss me, father, and forget that it has been. Mr. Levis drew a long sigh, partly of relief, partly of pain, as he looked into her lovely, resolute face. End of chapter 19